welcome to Fast Talk, your source for the science of endurance performance. I'm your host, Rob Pickles, here with Coach Connor. Tabatas, over-unders, and sprint intervals are just a few of the intervals that have received a lot of attention for the gains they offer. But if there's two types of intervals that might be considered the go-to workouts of endurance athletes, it would be threshold intervals and the dreaded VO2 max interval. At the surface, threshold and VO2 max intervals can appear similar. For example, our popular 5x5-minute intervals can be used to train either. Crank up the watts with a longer 5-10 to minute rest between efforts and you have a classic VO2 max workout. But lower the watts and a 1-minute rest and you have a threshold workout. Understanding the differences, what each type of interval trains, and how to execute them is very important. Helping us break this down today is legendary coach Hunter Allen, author of Training and Racing with a Power Meter, co-developer of Training Peak Software, and founder of Peaks Coaching Group. Hunter has used threshold and VO2 max intervals with athletes from beginners to top pros and shares his experiences with what does and doesn't work. He's also sharing a new innovation, Project Fuerza, which uses the power files of pro riders to create NFT artwork. Along with Hunter, we'll hear from Dr. Steven Seiler, a friend of the show and world-renowned researcher at the University of Agder. We'll also hear from Brent Bookwalter, a retired world tour rider who now invests his time with the Pro Cyclist Foundation charity, and Dr. Robert Kenefick, a researcher at Intrinsic Bioscience. So, Decide if you want to deeply suffer for just a couple minutes or kind of suffer for a long time. And let's make you fast. Listeners, this month we've opened up 12 of our best members-only guides just for you, and it's free. Join now at our free listener membership level and enjoy our deep dives into intervals.icu, Dr. Steven Seiler's famous 4x8-minute intervals, Training Peak's performance management chart, 5x5-minute interval analysis, our guides to VO2max and lactate testing, and much more. Become a listener member at fasttalklabs.com. Well, welcome, Hunter. Excited to have you back on the show. And right before we got on the recording here, you were telling us about your new business, Fuerza. And you mentioned NFTs, to which I kind of went, huh, what's that? (laughs) And you started showing us these images, and they were fantastic. So tell us a little bit about this new adventure of yours. Well, thank you. Yeah, no, I've been really excited. I've been working on this for a while now. And what I've done is I've signed about 25 Pro riders, both retired and current. So big names, Peter Sagan, Mark Cavendish, Garrett Thomas, Jens Voigt, Mark Padoon, you know, riders who are, are really, really fantastic world champions and, and Tour de France type guys. And then we've taken their wins in Tour de France, world championships, Paris-Roubaix, everywhere. I've made analyze that data because as you know i've spent 20 years (laughs) analyzing power data look for the best parts of them you know like some amazing sprints from mark cavendish etc and then i've got seven artists who then i get those pieces of data to them and then they create this you know incredible piece of art which has just been fantastic and we have kind of two categories where one is it's a it's a piece of art, for example, you know, it's this, this uh, mountain scene and then the, the data is embedded in it. Or we also have another category where the data is the art. You know, it's hard to imagine on, on this without seeing them, but 
it's really neat to see how um, these artists come up with that. So not only when you buy a, a Fuerza, do you get the piece of art? And you can imagine a future, right, where you walk in your house and you have LCD screens on your wall. And, you know, instead of paintings, you just have LCD screens and you can move the, the pieces of art around in your house. You can sell them if you want to. You can buy a new one. I mean, that future is coming. So, you know, when you buy this piece of art, the Squareza, then you also get the power data file. So if you wanted to see Peter Sagan's win in the world championships 2015 when he won in Richmond, Virginia, um, we've got that Fuerza and you get that power file. You get a license to view it, to analyze it, you download it. And then when you resell it, you re-upload it and you can resell that piece of art as well. So these are great, could be great investments. Uh, and then at the same time, NFTs, which stands for non-fungible tokens, these can be tickets to experiences. So for example, if a certain price point is reached, you get a Zoom call with Mark Cavendish for an hour, or maybe you get to go for a private two-day weekend of riding with Garrett Thomas. So all those things we're kind of creating in, in Project Wears. Well, Hunter, I wish you success with this because I'm pretty sure the value of my crypto portfolio is riding on whether or not you're successful in this business. So uh, so good <laughs> luck for, for all of us out there uh, listening. We, we are behind you 100%. Well, thank you. I'm just still trying, trying to get over the, the $12 million Sagan painting. <laughs> I'm not sure I quite have that money. <laughs> it was $10 million on Monday, but Ethereum's gone up, so it's $12 million now. So somebody should have bought it on Monday and they would have made $2 million. <laughs> for, for that sort of money, I don't just want to ride with Sagan. I want his legs. <laughs> <laughs> can, uh, can we just go ahead and cut those off and glue them on over here? <laughs> That'd be great. <laughs> All right. Well, let's dive into this episode, which is one I have been really excited to do because this is getting into the, the nuts and bolts of training. We have had a lot of our listeners reach out to us about what are threshold intervals, what are VO2 max intervals. We had Sebastian Weber on the show, who was, as soon as we mentioned VO2 max intervals, he was like, what are those? Why do you use that term? Yeah, that's my horrible attempt at an accent. <laughs> that um, was a little little Arnold Schwarzenegger, a little, uh, yeah. I think I covered every country in Europe at some point in that accent. <laughs> the Irish attempt. are very offended right now. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's a really good conversation to have because these are very two very common forms of intervals. I think there's a lot of misconceptions about them, and I think it would really help everybody to hear what are the best ways to execute this. And Hunter, I don't think we could have a better person on the, the show to talk about the nuts and bolts of two of the most popular forms of intervals. Well, thank you. Thank you, Trevor. No, it, it, is, a, it is a great topic. And I think also one that, um, you know, like you said, people, there is some misconceptions about it. People don't quite understand, you know, these two different concepts. So uh, let's, yeah, let's see if we can get through and, and help out folks who, uh, to give them a clear understanding of both things. All right. So let's start with the obvious question. What is the difference between threshold intervals and VO2 max intervals? Oh, that's a great question, Trevor. You know, I think that's something we need to first define what is threshold. And we talk about that and then let's define VO2 max and we can go from there. So first off, when we talk about threshold, when I'm speaking about it, I'm thinking about 
functional threshold power. All right. So functional threshold power, FTP. This is a definition that Dr. Coggin and I came up with back in, oh, I think it's been 20 years ago now, 2002, I believe. And we defined it as the highest average power you can maintain in a quasi steady state without fatiguing. Now, that's been the same definition for 20 years. And so it's, it's, uh, it's always been that definition. It hasn't changed. But practically, what does that mean? Well, that means that the highest average power you can maintain for around 60 minutes. Okay? It doesn't have to be exactly 60 minutes. It can be 56 minutes. It can be 58 minutes. You kind of have that you know, idea of, of understanding that I'm riding my best on the limit, on the edge for an hour. Now, the problem with that is that if you don't have a place to do an hour ride at your FTP, you don't have a climb, you don't have a flat road, you're in you know, city traffic, et cetera, or maybe you don't want to do that on your indoor trainer uh, for an hour. So I came up with a shortcut. It's the 20 minute effort, uh, the 20 minute test. And most people have forgotten about the 20 minute test and the fact that they've forgotten to do the five-minute test before it. You have to pre-fatigue those muscles a little bit and get rid of the anaerobic capacity, the anaerobic work capacity to get rid of some of your freshness. So if you do the five-minute test before, then you do a 20-minute test, you subtract 5% from your average power in the 20-minute test. That gives you a close approximation of what you could do for the 60 minutes. Uh, that may not be exactly right, you know, but again, if you really want to know your FTP, go man up, put your big boy pants on, big girl pants on, and do a 60-minute FTP test. Now, that's FTP. When we, when let's talk about VO2 max and how that is. And so VO2 max really is, is simply defined as the volume of oxygen that you can bring into your lungs and then take that oxygen, get it into the, the red blood cells, through the heart, in tran making that transfer happen back into the arterial blood flow so you can get it back to the, the working muscles which need that highly oxygenated blood. Now, VO2 max is, is talked about in a couple of different terms. So most people have heard them in two different ways. They've either heard them as a number between zero and 100, and that is really defined as the milliliters per minute per kilogram of body weight. So for example, you know, some of the best riders in the world, they're going to have a 90 milliliters per minute per kilogram of body weight. You've also heard it as liters per minute in that same rider that has a 90 milliliter per minute per kilogram might have a little over a six liter per minute measure of their VO2 max. In general, we talk about the number of the milliliters per minute per kilogram. So, hey, what's your VO2 max? Somebody might ask you, oh, I've got a 55 or I've got a 70 or whatever. And that seems to be kind of the common nomenclature. So hopefully that, that clears up what are these two different things. We've got threshold and we've got VO2 max. And Trevor, the other thing that's really important to know is, you know, these things are a continuum. So... When you're doing FTP, you're using, you know, the, the your lung capacity, right? You're you're maybe not at your VO2 max, but you're using a percentage of your VO2 max. 
Yeah, and actually, so I was digging through to find some research that compared these two, which was was actually somewhat difficult. But I found one study that actually it was a lactate threshold concepts. How valid are they by a, a Dr. Foud? And in there, they raised this is a continuum. It's not a you know threshold. You're you're completely training one energy system, and then when you get to VO two max, you're completely training a different energy system. Even when you're at that threshold at your FTP. You're bringing in both aerobic metabolism and you're bringing in anaerobic metabolism. And in some ways, the difference as you get to that VO2 max is you have now, as, as the name implies, maximized your, your aerobic contribution. So you're bringing in a little more anaerobic power. But exactly. it, it's not exactly. night and day. Exactly, exactly. I think another really important thing to mention is it's generally agreed that the power that you hit at VO2 max in a VO2 max test, that's the power that you can hold for about four to six minutes. Yep, exactly. And so that's a great point, right? Because when we think about that as a, and I actually kind of define it a little bit wider than that, three to eight minutes, but it, it is something in that range. And again, that's kind of like, that depends on your ability, your anaerobic ability. And so that's really something that you continue to do and, and, and think about and understand. But we know that FTP, we know that functional threshold power is a 60-minute effort. We know that VO2 max kind of range, again, from the three to eight minutes. So then that brings us to this, the, the second part of your question to answer that first question, really, is like, what's the difference between those two different intervals? Um, so if I'm going to go do FTP intervals, if I'm going to ride at my threshold, I need to ride in between 91% and 105% of my FTP. And I need to do it for a minimum of 10 minutes, okay? If you do really, if you do these intervals for less than 10 minutes, you're just not creating enough training stress in order for you to really make a significant adaptation to give the body enough training stress to adapt from. So we need to do at least 10 minutes you know, and I would say more like, well, let's do four times 10 minutes. Let's do three times 10 minutes. Let's do two times 10 minutes. Let's do five times 10 minutes, et cetera. Or maybe you do four times 15 minutes or two times 20 minutes at your FTP at 100% or 105% or even at 95%. We're training our FTP. So when we do a VO2 max interval, then now we're riding for that three to eight minute range and we could be from 106% of our FTP up to 150% of our FTP, depending on how big your VO2 max is. The bigger your VO2 max, the higher that percentage might be that you could ride at. So we're now doing seven times three minutes at maybe 120% of your FTP. Maybe we're doing five times five minutes at 115% of your so that's really kind of the difference between the two is looking at the percentage of your FTP that you're riding at the length of time and FTP versus VO2 max. Hunter just talked about how to determine your FTP and how it's your one hour power. But let's hear from somebody else. Here's Dr. Steven Seiler and his thoughts on doing a one hour test. Typical American, you know, <laughs> a lot of people just said, oh man, an hour, that's just too hard, you know. Let's do it for 30 minutes and then, or let's do it for 20, you know, or <laughs> what about eight? <laughs> and so things have just kind of slipped in, in typical American fashion, it seems. The original intent has kind of been lost. 
So, so I, I think Andy would agree that an hour is a good test because that's what he was doing back in the day. There's even a kind of a traditional component to it. You know, the hour is just part of cycling. So it really, it, it's really an anchor point in understanding your ability to perform in races and, and so forth. And uh, so I find it to be just a, a fairly, you can make an argument for it physiologically and you can also make an argument for it just traditionally and, and you know, it's a good calibration for, for athletes. And, and then there's no argument about, well, you know, is 0.95 right or should it be 0.9 times 20 minutes or, you know, just do the hour. And if people do that, then they will uh, they'll know what, where they're at. So going back what might be a misconception, and I'm very interested in hearing your answer to this, but are threshold and VO2 max intervals named that way because they train your threshold and your VO2 max, or are they named that way because you're doing work at those intensities? And I can tell you my answer is a bit of column A, a bit of column B, but, but Hunter, how would you answer this? Yeah, that's a that's a great question, uh, really great question, and I think that that's a deserves a really good answer as well. And, and and so when we think about it, what is the you know threshold? We think about it from a perspective of okay, I'm riding right at my limits. Okay, so I like to use the uh, you know kind of the the way to help people understand this is you know think about your threshold, your functional threshold power as a table. Right. You've got a table in front of you. Um, it takes an hour to go from one side of the table to the other side of the table. And that is the same hour for me, for Garrett Thomas, for you, for Peter Sagan, whoever it is, it takes an hour. The difference is the height of the table. When you first start out in cycling, your table is down near the floor. All right. Your FTP is really low. Okay. And then as you get fitter and fitter and fitter, the table it's, it's taller and taller and taller, the legs get longer, and eventually maybe you get so high you're at the ceiling of your FTP and you're racing the Tour de France. Now, how do you pick up a table, right? And this is kind of a, a reason to kind of think about how do we improve our FTP, and I know we're going to get there in a minute, but um, this might help folks to kind of visualize this idea. Well, you know, you, you're not Spider-Man. You can't put your hands on the table and suction cup the tabletop up. Right? It would be sweet if you could do that, but you can't. So you really put your hands underneath the edge of the table, underneath the lip of the table, and you push it up from just underneath the edge. Okay? So we talk about that a lot from a, an idea of sweet spot training. You know, training between 88 and 93, 95% of your FTP, just underneath your FTP. That's how we push the table up from underneath. Now, I can take my fingernails and stick it in the edge of the table and lift that table up, right? That is painful, right? But that's yep. riding at the edge. That's riding at your limit. That's riding at your FTP, okay? So back to kind of the question, I think of it as a practical definition because it's functional, right? You're out there on the bike. Uh, you're not in some lab somewhere. You know, you're measuring power. We're not measuring lactate. We're measuring, you know, we're not measuring your cadence or anything. We're measuring power. So it's functional threshold power. And so from that perspective, it's that. If we were defining threshold as your lactate threshold, okay, we're looking at the lactate levels in your blood, right? We're defining those things. 
what are you training? Well, you're training the ability to, you know, ride, buffer, lactate, buffer all of the, the, the positive hydrogen ions, all those things, right, that prevent you from going farther and faster. And so those are the things that we're training. When we think about VO2 max, we think about it from a perspective of, okay, this is the volume of oxygen I can, I can take into my lungs, the size of my lungs. And when we train that, are we really training our VO2 max? Well, you know, doing intervals at VO2 max, if you're untrained, can help you increase your power numbers at VO2 max. Does it really increase your VO2 max once you're highly trained? Not really. I know I talk about it as it increases your speed, your ability to go faster at VO2 max. So there's a bit of both, like you said, Trevor, a little yep. bit of both. No, and I, I love your analogy, and you brought up the important point. And we'll get into this when we talk more about threshold intervals, but the goal with them isn't always to go as hard as you can go. As a matter of fact, a lot of top athletes when they're, they're training that lactate clearance, when they're trying to, to raise their threshold, are actually training a little bit below. But, yeah, I agree with you on the, the VO2 max. I was looking for studies last couple of days on VO2 max intervals, and some said, yeah, it, it, we see improvements in VO2 max. Others said we saw none, and that's where you really have to look at the methodology. And what you see is the ones that saw improvement, well, they were using typical college students who, who weren't necessarily that fit, where the ones that saw no improvement were using much fitter athletes. And my argument is you take somebody yep. off the couch, yeah, you're going to see improvements in VO2 max. And frankly, almost any interval is going to improve their VO2 max. But I think once somebody's at a certain level, you're going to see gains from doing training at that intensity, but it's not necessarily going to bring your VO2 max up. I think at the same time, I don't know that we should have a reliance on these individual physiological variables, right? Because VO2 max is a determinant of performance. It plays into a limitation that could be affecting how fast, how far you can run a ride. But for me, ultimately, it is the power at VO2 max. It is time trial intensity or completion duration. You know, those performance aspects are what I think that we ought to be hanging our hat on maybe moving away from some of these lab variables a little bit when we're determining if something is effective or not. If you go the exact same workload, but it takes you 10 milliliters more oxygen to do it, did you get better? I'd say you got worse. Right. And, I, and so I think that, well, you have to kind of wrap your head around the idea of what we've created is a way to make it simple, right? How do I know that I'm training this system, this energy system? And so I think that that over-reliance on, on these terms and things and this physiological soup, you know, it, it can create confusion for sure. But we also have to remember that like, wow, I want to, you know, be, right? What do we all want, right? We want to be a faster cyclist, right? Period. I want to ride my bike faster, right? And so how do we do that? And how do we guarantee that we're doing that? You know, because before we had power meters, we weren't, we didn't know, right? I mean, it was like, well, I'm going to go out and do intervals and I'm going to do five minutes. I'm going to stick my heart rate at 175. Okay. Well, I'm, is that good? Is that bad? Did you have a lot of caffeine today? Did you go, did you not sleep good last night? You know, did you, is it really hot outside? You know, so we didn't really know 
if we're actually training our threshold that day, our functional threshold power, or we didn't know if we were training our anaerobic capacity or we're training our VOG max, we had really no idea and from that perspective because we didn't have the right tools. So with a power meter, now you can say, okay, well, I don't want to say 100% guarantee, but I want to say pretty damn close, 98, 99% guarantee that if you're riding at 115% of your FTP, you're probably stressing your VO2 system. And that, I think, and you're doing it for five minutes, you're creating enough training stress that you're going to adapt and get stronger from it. Now, again, you can't just do it five minutes once a week. You got to do, you know, five times five minutes or something. So as long as you keep that in mind. So that really brings us to the execution. And I think it's really important to talk about what are the best way to do VO2 max intervals. Because you just mentioned the classic mode, which is the five by five minute intervals. And the one counter I'll give you is if you do the five by five minutes right, you don't need power heart rate or anything. There's a real easy metric. If you're throwing up at the end of every five minute <laughs> interval, you did it right. But that's <laughs> that's my concern because you know you do five minutes at that VO2 max power, it hurts like you wouldn't believe. I mean, I do that and I'm gasping for air for the next two minutes. The thought of doing five of those in a row, I'm not sure how many times you could get me to do that, but that's my question for you, Hunter. When you're working with athletes and you're saying, I'm going to give you VO2 max intervals, do you go with the classic five by five or do you go with something else? Right. You nail it right on the head the way you describe it too. And I think that everybody who's listening needs to understand that, that as well. When you know you're at your VO2 max when that you are panting, right? You are not breathing in rhythm, okay? When I'm in rhythm, I'm in my FTP. I'm breathing really hard, <gasps> right? I'm in rhythm. And I'm maintaining that rhythm. It's at the top end of my ventilation threshold, you know, at that at that rhythm, right? But then all of a sudden, when you go to VO2 max, now you're just like, <laughs> you know, right? You're, you're dying, right? You're you're not in rhythm. You're about to explode at any second, and it hurts, right? So so that's a great way to confirm, you know, your kind of you know responses, right? Because that's what it is. You're breathing rate response to the power you're creating that you're in your VO2 max. And I agree. It hurts. It's tough. It's not easy. I make sure that when, when I prescribe these types of intervals, we generally only do one VO2 max session per week. And it may just be, okay, ride out, warm up, do five by five at 115% of your FTP or 112 or whatever, whatever the athlete needs. Then rest for five minutes in between each one and ride back home. That may be all they do. Or maybe it's part of kind of a different, another workout and they do a four hour workout or a two hour workout or a three hour workout. And they're doing the five by fives in the first hour. And then after that, now we're doing sweet spot work because we can still do sweet spot work. Uh, or maybe we're just riding a tempo. So, so that way you're getting that most intense interval done first, which you know we know is a, a solid concept that we always want to do, but it is challenging, right? And and I limit the amount of total work to 25 minutes. So if it's five times five, that's it. If it's seven times three minutes, that's 21. Okay, we can do eight times three minutes, that's 24. So I try and limit that total work time to 25 minutes 
once a week in a dedicated session. Now we might do a couple of VO2 max intervals on Saturday or something. So we might get some additional work there, but in one session, I limit it to that. So what about, and I'll admit, this is often what I do with my athletes. I'm, I'm very careful about giving those, those five by fives because of how difficult they are. What about doing shorter intervals of VO2 max power, like doing a two minute or a three minute interval, but having a shorter recovery so that that aerobic system stays ramped up? I think when you start to get to the two minute range, you're starting to, to reach into the anaerobic ability of some of the athletes. And so I think at that point, it's not long enough to really engage the aerobic system enough to create that, that training stress you want. So I think the minimum is really three minutes that you should do, especially if you have a strong anaerobic ability. Many of us have that. We just need to make sure that, oh, wow, we're pacing ourselves. And I'll talk about that and say, look, you know, when you do VO2 max intervals, you have to pace yourself so that you're not just finishing and, you know, you start out your, your, your watts were at 300 and you finish your watts at 200, you know, you're starting out and you're, you're saying, okay, I'm my, I'm going to hold 280. And then at the very end, I'm going to punch it to 300 for the last 30 seconds to maximize the, the VO2 max portion of it. Um, now you're doing a two minute or one minute interval. Those are pretty much all out die a thousand deaths in the last yeah. 30 seconds. So I think that's important. Yeah, and to your point, uh, so I'm going to bring some of the research in today. I did find some of the classic interval studies, and I'm looking at one right now by Steptoe from 1999, and this is a medical and science and sports and exercise journal. And we'll put all these references on the website. And it compared 30-second to one-minute to two-minute to four-minute to eight-minute intervals and showed that uh, there was this curvilinear relationship where really you were seeing the biggest gains in that three to six minute range to your point. Trevor, can I ask in that study, what was the restorations as you go through those? And the reason that I bring that up is there has been shown to be a high sustained level of oxygen consumption with short intervals if there's also a short rest interval as well. So, you know, this is the theory behind the Tabatas or, you know, being a a 20 second on 10 second rest and maybe more commonly for cyclists, 30 thirties in that range as well. And I believe it was Dr. Seiler that kind of likened a 30, 30 workout to more of a, almost like a steady state workout with fluctuating power because the rest interval was so short you don't have time, or actually, I, yeah. if I remember, that was in reference to 40 seconds on, 20 seconds off, because you don't have time for that oxygen utilization to come down in such a short rest interval. Well, that's there's a bunch of studies on five-by-five-minute intervals with one-minute recoveries, because even though it's five minutes and you would think that's a VO2max interval, with that shorter recovery, it, you gotta be it tends to actually be more of a threshold interval. It's like doing a 25-minute threshold effort. Robin, and you're exactly right. I mean, that's that's why Dr. Coggin came up with normalized power, because we needed to make sure that we understood what did what did the body really feel like if you went up a hill that was a three-minute long hill, and then you went down uh, a 10-second or 15-second, you know, on the downhill, and then went back up three minutes again. You know, what were you really training when you look at the average power course, the zeros are included in that. So your average power, if you held 300 watts in the uphills, you know, and then zero watts on that 10, 15 second downhill, your average power is going to be 295 or 294 or whatever it is. But if you look at the normalized power, it's going to be right at 300 
watts because that's what your body didn't have time enough to recover. And that normalized power goes on a 30 second rolling average, which 30 seconds is fairly, you know, you not unique, but it's just kind of unusual or whatever. There's lots of things that have 30 second recovery restoration rates in the body. Lactate recovers a 30 second half-life heart rate does at 30 seconds as well. So, you know, those are the things where if you do that, then you're still making it aerobic. Now, I'll tell you one story that I think is important to, to kind of make sure you're being careful with this is that I once had an athlete, very good athlete, category one cyclist. He could crush criteriums. He would come in a, an hour long criterium. He'd be in the breakaway. He might even win the race his normalized power at the end of the race might be 360 watts. And in general, when we see an hour hard race, and then we can take that normalized power and say, you know, that's pretty close to what your FTP would be. So um, then on Tuesdays, he had a local time trial, 10 mile time trial that he did. And uh, so I would say, okay, well, your FTP is 360, 350, let's be 350, let's hold 350. We'll give you a little bit of the benefit of the doubt here. We'll, we'll be able to observe. Well, he would struggle to do 300 watts for that 10-mile time trial. Struggle. Couldn't do it. You know, at the end of the thing, I'd be like, what is going on, you know? You know, and he's like, I just can't do it. It hurts too much. Can't do it. You know, and I'm just like, well, you know, do it again. Try again. You know, thinking, this guy, you know, doesn't know how to push himself. You know, he can, you know, is he kind of, you know, wimping out here or what's going on? And so after like the third time he did this, you know, I got him to do like 315 finally one day. And I said, the fourth time I said, you know what you're going to do on this one? I want you to do the 10 mile time trial, but I want you to do it in microbursts for the entire thing. You're going to go at 150% of your FTP for 15 seconds. And then you're going to ride at 50% of your FTP for 15 seconds. And he's like, what? I'm like, yeah, you're going to piss off a lot of people when you sprint by them yep. <laughs> and then you ghost. <laughs> but what happened? He did that for that 10 mile. He cut two minutes off in his time. Two minutes. He is a sprinter, not a steady guy. Is. <laughs> right? So you got to keep that in mind, right? Because there's two different types of people who have that ability to recover quickly. And so they may really benefit from the on-off Tabata type nature or microburst intervals, whereas somebody who's a steady state rider, that may not be the solution for them. Ex-pro Brent Bookwalter has a lot of experience with VO2 max intervals and just how much they can hurt. As Hunter mentioned, he's tried several different ways to accomplish the same goal. Let's hear what he has to say. The threshold work. I was always quite still happy to do VO2 work. I would usually get some anxiety and a little sick to my stomach before they even started, but also realized that it was it was critical for for bringing me up and polishing that race form off. And um, yeah, I, I responded really well to it. Yeah, I mean, essentially the um, the VO2 work is like the the keel over and collapse can't pedal anymore work, and the uh, the threshold work is the the uh, the long deep burn and and suffer prolonged for a longer period of time, but not quite as intense, more sustainable. Fair. When would you use each, or would you use them simultaneously? It depended actually on different coaches I worked with through my career implementing that differently. Some of them would use them simultaneously. Others would do specific phases with just one or the other. And my assessment after learning both ways is that there's no 
magical way. I think it can be done either way. There's costs and benefits, I think, to doing them together. In general, I would say my personal experience in the training cycle, I think you can include both. There's not a magic formula there. In the day in a specific session, I would say it's rare to be able to do threshold work and VO2 work in the same session and have them be both be productive. Just the mental toll on pushing and squeezing the body and the mind in both of those zones for, for one session is, is very high. And I think even for the strongest competitors in the world who are doing nothing but thinking about training, most guys aren't doing that. A, a sort of a like classic, classic VO2 session is like two sets of four by four. If you go to, there's a climb in Girona in the middle of the summer when it's you know prime race season, if you go there, you'll see a bunch of guys starting and stopping in the same places doing their four-minute efforts out there. Yep. And that is a brutal workout. I did that many years ago. Wasn't one to look <laughs> forward to. So. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how quick I'll go back to that one. I'll need a little <laughs> detox time before I click back into another VO2 session. The other training, I guess, um, note I'd say on the VO2 work is I think with some of my coaches, we, we tried to achieve that same VO2 benefit with intermittent work. So like primarily 4020s or 3030s. Mm-hmm. And I think in terms of the the breathing and the respiration and the energy turnover that has to place that has to take place, I think it's possible to achieve that VO2 benefit with a different power profile with a more dynamic spectrum as well. That for me, it was always easier to do. I think because I was better at it. So I probably didn't need to do it as much, but it was easier for me to do it that way and, and a little more fun. So yeah, I was gonna ask you about that because a lot of coaches are heading that way. They, they find that the, something like the 3030s or he said the 4020s produce similar gains, but they're just more manageable. Yeah, I, it is more manageable for sure. I think what we have to remember there is there's still a matter of, of race specificity. You know, sometimes in the races, the power profile is very undulating and the intermittent stuff is great for that. But other times I had a point in my career when I was trying to make more selections over climbs and and hang on through crux points and, and climbs and doing the, the sustained load constant effort of three, four or five minutes does provide a different... It's a different stimulus and feel on the muscles and the legs. And it's yeah. different psychologically too to, to, to hit it and, and stay on that stun mode as opposed to knowing like you're only going to look at the clock for 30 seconds and then you know you're going to get a break. So, No, that's a good point. That is the hard part of those four by fours. You you're hit it hard. You go, oh my god, this hurts. But I don't have that much left. And you look down. You're only thirty seconds in. You got three and a half minutes to go. Yeah, that's that's the hard part mentally. Yeah, but also empowering. I think one of the reasons I I like doing those those sessions because they they were empowering. You know, it's it was something that I I prepared for and invested a lot in mentally before those sessions to make sure I was ready and pushed through really hard to get through them. And then there's a, a level upping that happens uh, mentally to get into that race shape, knowing you've managed that workout and survived it. Hey, listeners. If you've been listening to Fast Talk for a while, you've probably heard a few of my hot weather racing stories. Like the time I tricked a rival team into feeding me some of their water bottles. Stories like those show how critical it is to beat the heat and stay hydrated. In our new pathway, we explore exercise in the heat. We show how to manage heat, dial in hydration, and fuel for performance in hot conditions. This new pathway taps Dr. Stephen Chung, the internationally recognized expert in thermal physiology, and sports scientists Rob Pickles, Lindsay Golich, Dr. Steven Seiler, plus Ryan Kohler and myself. 
This pathway busts myths and reveals science-based best practices for beating the heat. Topics include rider body types, mental strategies, sports drink salinity, drinking versus dousing, muscle cramping, which is one of my favorites, and you'll learn why taking electrolytes might not make a difference. Plus, we talk about getting acclimated, drink to thirst, and how heat affects sports nutrition. Take a look at our new exercise in the heat pathway at fasttalklabs.com. So the last question I want to ask about VO2 max intervals is getting back to what we mentioned uh, at the beginning of this deeper dive into them, which is these are fatiguing intervals. And is there any risk? You said you only do this once per week. Is there any risk of really building up that sympathetic fatigue and pushing an athlete towards overtraining with these? I I think absolutely there is. Um, Absolutely there is. I think that that's something that you have to be very, very careful of. And back to the the table analogy, right? Again, FTP is the tabletop, fingernails in the edge of the table is lifting up at FTP. But you know what? You can go to the home home, uh, improvement store, buy some hooks and screw some hooks down the top of the table and lift up your FTP from those hooks. That's how we can improve the FTP by doing VO2 max intervals. Okay, so you can improve your FTP absolutely by doing VO2 max intervals. And it's kind of the thing that you put, I call the icing on the cake, right? You do that towards the end of your build cycles, especially if you're building up to a peak of fitness, then that's what you want to do is let's, let's do intervals at VO2 max to improve our FTP. Now, if you spend too much time doing those intervals, you put a lot of holes in the top of your table and eventually that's going to weaken the table and collapse it, so to speak. Okay. So I think that's something we have to be very careful of is making sure that we don't put too many holes in the top of our table and we make sure we keep that foundation of upper fitness, FTP and below really strong. I'll be very careful with those for steady state riders, for riders who are just pure aerobic machines, those riders seem to be the most sensitive to doing a lot of work above their FTP, that it could actually reduce their FTP if they get too much work there. For riders who have a bigger anaerobic ability, I won't be quite as sensitive to that. I'll give them more work at VO2 max because they can handle it. It seems to build their FTP even more. Maybe they get a bigger, even bigger response. Um, but both kind of riders need some work at VO2 max. So why don't we switch gears and now talk about threshold intervals? And, and Rob is the sprinter in the room who probably hates doing these. <laughs> this is my bread and butter. I would do them every day if I could. What are your thoughts on this? You know, it's funny because I actually, I don't hate doing them. For me, you know, and this is maybe a conversation for later in the podcast, when I'm thinking about intervals and, and what is appropriate, what is worthwhile, then it very much has to do with what somebody's limitations are. And, um, you know, Trevor, as, as you know, and hopefully our audience has learned about me, the thing I love more than anything in the world is going on these nice, big, long, fun adventures. If I wanted to be the most successful cyclist I could be, I would, I would be a sprinter on the track without question. I mean, that's where my ability is. Not even a road race sprinter because I have to get to the finish line with people. Forget that. I'm not even good at that. You know, but I could walk onto a track and be very effective. But 
I've chosen to never really race on the track because I personally don't find that enjoyable. And it kind of goes the same way with these sprint interval workouts. I could definitely play to my strength, but in all honesty, I, I don't. You'll find me oftentimes doing more VO2 or threshold related intervals, you know, because I think for me, um, you know, that balances out my abilities. If I only ever did the one thing I was good at, I probably wouldn't be able to improve the limitations that I have and, and become a stronger all around cyclist, which to me is important. No, that's a really good point. And I'm glad you brought that up. So Hunter, what are your thoughts? You mentioned that you're not really getting the gains if you're doing anything under 10 minutes. So it sounds like you're a fan of, of longer threshold intervals. How do you typically have your, your athletes execute these? Yeah. And, and, uh, I think that, um, you know, that that's exactly when I'm thinking about threshold intervals, I want to, you know, I, I'm fairly, I guess, I don't know, classical or whatever you want to say. First, I, I want to build uh, a foundation of fitness with them. So I'll start out with, with sweet spot work to begin with, make sure we're getting plenty of work aerobically underneath your FTP so that you pushed it to a, um, you know, let's say three quarters of what you can be, what you can do, uh, what your potential is. So I'll do a lot of sweet spot work. I think it's a great place to be. We've got a lot of bang for our buck. Athletes don't complain too much. They do it. It's not, it's not too brutal. Um, once we get closer and closer to that last eight weeks building into a peak of fitness, that's when I'll really introduce a lot of on the limit, on the edge type FTP intervals. I am a huge fan of the 10 minute one. I like 10 minutes because I think that you can ride at your, at 105% of your FTP. It's very intense. It doesn't take that long. And you can rest, you know, for five minutes between each one, recover really well, not so much that you lose your rhythm and then boom, you're back into the next 10 minutes. I'll do those. I'll prescribe those more than anything, just because I think that one, the intensity makes a difference. And then the factor of, you know, just mentally, I can complete 10 minutes much easier than I can ride for 15 or even 20 minutes. So I'll do 20 minutes for sure. I'll have athletes do 20 minutes. I'll have them do 15 minute intervals as well. But those will be at 100% of their FTP or, or maybe even, you know, 98 or something like that, where the 10 minute ones uh, will be at 105% or maybe just a touch above, especially if they're the big VO2 max. So, yeah, so that, that's kind of where the range is at. Yeah, Hunter, I think that I'm in agreement with you on the longer threshold sort of intervals and you know, for me, I, I even tend to be more on that longer side, the 15 to the 20 minutes, maybe at 95% to, to 100% of your FTP. And, and the reason for that actually is, is not really scientific. I think that there are times when we're prescribing intervals that we need to step outside the physiology and, and what it says on the research paper in front of us. And I think that oftentimes there's a lot of really specificity-based benefits to just being okay with suffering for 20 minutes when it's uncomfortable. You know, we've all felt that feeling of, oh, the first five minutes feel great. You're like, I should go harder. 
And then at 10 minutes, you're going, oh man, this is getting pretty tough. And then you're, you know, it's kind of like that race of attrition almost at that point in time. And I find that to be really, really valuable for athletes, especially when they're engaged in events or um, courses, terrains that require these longer steady state sort of outputs. You know, it teaches their, their stomach to feel okay after a long effort, maybe even to take in some calories while doing this effort. And I think that all of those uh, have really, really large benefits for actual race day performance. So I'm kind of in a place in between the two of you, because Hunter, I agree with you. I, I'm not quite 10 minutes. I often use eight minute intervals, but to me, that's, that's relatively close. I find them great for raising athletes' power. For clarification, you do eight minute intervals with very short rest intervals in between, yes. correct? And, and that's an important thing for people to think about. It's not eight minutes all out, right? Right. And that, so we brought that up, you know, five by five minute intervals with a five minute rest, that's a, a VO2 max interval. Five by five minute intervals with one minute rest is really more of a threshold interval. And the eight minutes that I use, it's a, it's a two minute recovery. But I, I do, I'll, I'll give a large block of that to my athletes, but then I give them about three weeks where I want them doing a 16 to 20 minute interval at that intensity to, for Rob's point, which is, You've built the power, now learn how to hold this power. Yeah. I mean, that's always, as a coach, you know, we're always balancing the need to train a specific system for a reason. Okay. We need to improve this, this area. We need to improve that area, et cetera, with the psychological nature of the actual intervals themselves. And I think that's something that, that always is a challenge, right? And so... You know, I find in the winter, especially if I've got an athlete, gosh, that they just need to maintain their fitness in the winter. You know, they do a lot of cadence work because it's not boring. <laughs> and it's kind of like, well, I'm just writing these training workouts so that they're not bored on the train. <laughs> um, and that sometimes, you know, we always have to think about too, is what is mentally going to allow you to do these and meet the demands, I guess, or the needed demands in order to create the correct training stress. And I think this is where I think we get skewered if we didn't bring in Dr. Seiler's research because he did so much research on four by fours, four by eights, four by sixteens. Got it up in front of me. It's great research. I could talk about it for the next 20 minutes, but I'll just give a couple points here, which is really backing what you're saying, Hunter. In one study, he compared those, those four different intervals and pretty clearly the four by eights and again, you said to use 10 minutes, but I think you'd see similar results. His four by eights seemed to produce the best gains in aerobic markers. Four by 16s had a lot of gains, but in another study, he showed that they kind of took the biggest hit to the free testosterone to cortisol ratio, which is a, mm. a metric for overreach. So doing those four by 16s, you're, you're starting to risk doing some, some longer term damage to yourself. Yeah, I do want one point of clarification, though, because in the Seiler study, those four by eight minute intervals were done at an average of 113% of VT2, which is somewhat corollary to FTP, you know, give or take a little bit. I'm not going to say they're the same thing, but I would put that actually in the longer side of the VO2 max, quote unquote, type of intervals for what it's worth. Now, they did do also those four by four minute intervals were at 130% of VT2. That's more along the lines of what we were talking about before, working at maybe your max aerobic power as hard as you can possibly go for four minutes. And then the four by 16 that Trevor mentioned, 
those were at 100% of VT2, which is kind of a good corollary again for working right sort of at your threshold. So I almost, I see this one study as one of the best examples of kind of a threshold versus VO2 sort of workout interval scheme. And interesting, the thing that he concluded, which goes against that whole more time at greater than 90% of VO2 max is better, is between all these intervals, and certainly the 4 by 16s were much closer to FTP. He found they produced relatively similar gains in the different energy systems. And the argument that he made is it was really more about time. And it seemed that spending about 30 to 40 minutes at intensity was really the goal and not the intensity itself being the biggest factor. We did a, a video with Dean Golich not a long ago, and he brought this up and he went 95%, 100%, 102% of FTP. I, I don't see a difference. Yeah, I think that when we're in a, a laboratory and everything is really controlled, including people's diets and the work that they're doing to the second, then maybe you can start to see significant differences between you know, but Hunter, as you're pointing out, that's not the real world. That's not how any of us operate. You take that and you combine that with event specificity. And even though, you know, Dr. Seiler's paper clearly shows that four by eight minutes at a hundred and whatever, 15% or 120% increases all of these laboratory-based measures, I, as an athlete and as a coach, would not say that's the only thing you should do, right? Nobody is saying... Yeah. I mean, because otherwise this paper is saying, hey, this is the only workout you should ever do every day of the week. And, and we all know intrinsically that's not the case. Right, right. And, you know, and, and you got to come back to, too, right, as a, as a coach, you know, I know these work from experience, right? And so you've seen it work with other riders. You've seen it with 100 other riders. You know they work. Therefore, you prescribe them. And so... It's like, well, this works, you know, and, and if your athlete you're working with has confidence, 100% confidence in it and does the four by tens is exactly like you, you tell them to two days a week, they're going to get better. You know, if they go out and they just kind of shirk it and don't really do the whole thing, then eh, not going to get as good. <laughs> so before we get to our final question, I just want to say one last thing about threshold intervals, which is I do think the recovery length can be important. Because remember, it takes time for your aerobic system to fully ramp up. That's why if you do a threshold interval, you see that your heart rate takes a while to come up to threshold. And you don't want to be relying on anaerobic metabolism. The point here is to train that aerobic system. So if you're doing 15 plus minute threshold intervals, you're going to have a long time where that aerobic system's really revving at, at 100%. And so there, I don't think the recovery length is, is that important. I'll tell my athletes, take a longer recovery. If you're doing something shorter, if you're doing 10 or 8 or even 5-minute intervals, that's where I think you need that shorter recovery so that you're not fully repleting the anaerobic stores and you're also not letting the, the aerobic system come back down. You, you want to hit it again while the aerobic system is still revved up. And I always tell my athletes, if you're doing like an 8-minute interval, that first interval is almost a throwaway. It's those next three where you're really hitting that aerobic system. Bingo. Mango, 100% agreed. Let's hear from Dr. Robert Kenefick and his thoughts on the values of threshold interval work. Do you feel physiologically there is a value to the VO2 max intervals and is it different from the value you'd get from more of a threshold interval done right at that anaerobic threshold? I would say that I think both of them are valuable. I do think the higher intensity, like right at threshold work 
would be valuable for a number of different reasons. Adaptation is probably one of the biggest ones. So we're, we're trying to adapt in those circumstances. And when you mentioned those intervals are going to be rather short because they're so intense. You're going to have a lot of lactic acid being built up. And there's a lot of aspects of lactic acid that can begin to cause a decrement of performance, muscle contraction, et cetera. And so by being at those intervals and have something like the lactic acid levels being very elevated into doing work, you know, a lot depends on how much rest is in between these intervals, but you know, you're raising that level and now you're having to work with that present. You begin to adapt to that. You become you get physiological adaptations and psychological adaptations. I think that's valuable in order to start to push up what you mentioned the first part is that anaerobic threshold. Right. So you're trying to get that to go up a little bit more. And so doing that higher intensity work at threshold is going to be valuable to try to move that anaerobic threshold. So let's dive into the final question, which you kind of touched on, which is now talking as your experience as a coach and what works. It sounds like you use both threshold and VO2 max intervals. When do you use each? What point in the season? What's the purpose for using each? Right. What are your right, thoughts on this? Right. Yeah, absolutely. You know, for, for me, you know, I want to make sure that I've maximized the FTP gains that I can, I can before really moving to VO2 max, unless they have a, a particularly difficult event that requires, you know, three to five minute kind of power. And so then I'll, I'll give them VO2 max intervals before that. Again, to really get them comfortable riding at that intensity. So they realize, oh, I can ride at this intensity and still hang in the Peloton and not blow. That's more of a kind of a confidence issue, to be honest. Maybe you get a little benefit of doing those intervals as well. But for me, I'm always thinking about, well, when is my athlete peaking? Okay, they're going to peak on August the 1st. Then I need to make sure that I have their FTP as high as it can possibly be you know, by July the 1st, and then we spend the month of July teasing it up even higher if possible, making sure that we're getting in more intense VO2 max intervals, not overdoing it, but giving them enough and having time for taper and rest to lead into that peak on August the 1st. So I really apply them in, in two different ways. And that's one, if we, we have a single peak of the year, I'm going to win nationals, et cetera, or I want to do my best at this Grand Fondo versus, okay, I've got a rider who's doing races throughout the year, and then they need to make sure their their knife is pretty sharp, and then it's really sharp on the weekends. And so then we I may put VO2 max intervals in a couple of intervals through the week. So you do a couple on Tuesday, maybe you do a couple on Wednesday, and that's it in order to keep that system primed, so to speak. Is there a significant increase in VO2 max? Hard to say. You know, can I get their FTP up another 10 watts in that last month? Most likely. Sometimes not. Sometimes you can, you know, et cetera. So to me, I think it's, it's more of a, um, that point, it's a bit of an art in the prescription of them, especially in those last four to six weeks. So I'm actually going to 100% agree with everything you're, you're saying. And I'm actually going to flip this around instead of doing what I normally do and try to talk about the, the specific energy systems you're training. 
the way I always think of it is that that threshold work makes you super strong, but it makes you a tank. So if you do all that threshold work and then you hop in a race and somebody attacks, you're not going to respond to the attack. But if you did the threshold work well, you're the guy who's going to be on the front of the field chasing it down, which means you don't win, but, but you can do some work. The VO2 yep. max intervals, whatever it is that they hit, whatever energy systems, there are the intervals that are going to allow you when somebody attacks to respond and then maybe even counterattack them. It gives you that race burst. You know, I've sort of long held the belief, and, and I don't coach any, any world tour, pro tour athletes, right? But I've long held the belief that the training that an individual athlete ought to do really should be related to the work that they're doing out on the road, right? And uh, if you are a team leader, then maybe the needs that you have are a little bit different than the domestique that's doing work to help you. Maybe one of them needs to have a little bit more of an explosive, you know, break away from people and other, the other, the domestique has to have a little bit more of that sit on the field and, and, and tow the team leader up the hill. And I would train them differently if I ever had the chance to train them. Well, to that yeah. point, I am the constant, I was, you know, built to be a domestique from the ground up. Lead me out, Trevor. And I had <laughs> great FTP. I think my VO2 max power was like five watts higher. I mean, it, it was right. comical when you saw my, if I did a 30 minute time trial and then a five minute effort, how close the wattages were. Yeah. And I think, you know, Andy Coggin said this, uh, Dr. Coggin said this uh, years and years ago when we were somewhere and he was talking about it. It was a really good point. Um, you know, he's like, your FTP is your ticket to play the game. Right. It's kind of like, okay, is your FTP high enough to ride in with the cat twos? Then you can play the game, right? You're in the game. You're not going to get dropped by the Peloton. You can ride with the, with the cat twos. And so that's your ticket to play the game. It's your VO2 max and anaerobic ability. That is what gives you the ability to win because in every race, every race, even in every grand Fondo, whatever you want to say, there's always always five minutes where it yep. determines the race win, right? Always is. And sometimes there are races where you have multiple five minutes, <laughs> but if you grit your teeth and you recognize like, oh crap, this is the five minutes that I need to be on the limit here and above it. And I'm going to make the winning break or I'm going to make the winning split or I'm going to win this race. You recognize that that's really important. And that's VO2 max. That's FTP. That's both of those things. But really, if you kind of look at some of the Tour de France winners over the past years, there's very rare, very rare when you have a just pure tank slash diesel rider who wins. I mean, Cadell Evans was uh, rare because he won the Tour de France and that guy had no anaerobic capacity at all. Yep. You look at Alberto Contador, that guy, he could just freaking accelerate anytime he wanted to. So he had FTP and anaerobic and VO2 and just boom, pop off the front, right? Because if your FTP is the same, right? Let's say you're a world tour pro rider in the tour this year and your FTP is 440 and the other guy's FTP is 440, but you have the ability to drill it for 30 seconds to two minutes or something like that. Now you've created that 30 second gap and then now you're back at 440 again. He's back at 440, 30 seconds behind you, right? And, and you, you win. won the race, yep. you know? So 
So keep that in mind, right? FTP is what gives you the ticket to play the game. Your VO2 max and anaerobic ability is what gives you the ability to win the game. And the one thing I'll say to all this is do the work, do your threshold work, do your VO2 max work, time it right. But when you're in the race and you hit that five minute moment, don't look at your power. Don't go, this is above my VO2 max power. I have to back down. That moment, the thought that should be going through your head is, I do this or the race is over, so I give it everything I've got. Bingo. Well, Hunter, you've been on the show before, so you know what comes next, where we finish up. This is our one-minute take-homes, where you get to summarize what you think is the most pertinent point or the thing you really want our listeners to take away from the show. So let's let you go first. All right. So I think the most important points are Number one, understand the relationship between time and intensity. If you want to train your FTP, then you need to make sure you're doing intervals at least 10 minutes long. They need to be probably around 105%. You know, if you're doing 20-minute intervals, you know, 100% is fine or 95% is fine, right? So keep that in mind. I'm training my FTP. I need to keep this time and intensity correct. Same thing for VO2 max. If I'm doing VO2 max intervals, and I want to improve my speed at VO2 max. I want to improve my power at VO2 max. Then you need to do intervals between three to eight minutes. They need to probably be between around 106 and 120 percent, unless you're a mutant like Rob. Otherwise, you're in that range. You're training that system, and so I think those are key take homes. You know, you can't do a four minute interval at 90 percent of your FTP and think you're going to improve your your VO2 max. Okay, well, the four-minute time is right, but 90% intensity, that's like the FTP intensity, but four minutes isn't long enough to create enough training stress to improve your FTP. So four minutes at 90%, you're wasting your time, right? So if you're going to do four-minute intervals, make sure you're there at 115% or so. So time and intensity, that's the relation between those two and these two systems is important. Right. Rob, you want to go next? Yeah. For me, the important variables here are the performances at these measures. So VO2 max itself, in terms of oxygen consumption, I think is less important than the workload that you're doing at that point in time, because that's what moves you down the road in the trail. Same thing with threshold. Um, I don't care what millimole of lactate that's at or whatever. We're talking about a functional situation where we're talking about workload. You know, and I think that if we look just at research, those VO2 max intervals that we're talking about might be superior in getting gains. Um, but I know that research is uh, more black and white than, uh, than real life is. And because of that, I think that individuals do need to be doing both VO2 max style and threshold style workouts. Now, exactly uh, what that workout is, well, that matters who you are and it matters what you're trying to accomplish. And so either think critically about that for yourself to make the right choice or make sure your coach is thinking about that as you're uh, writing up a training plan. So my take home is to go back to this question of what is the difference between VO2 max and threshold intervals? And we could, you know, we, we had a good conversation about does VO2 max intervals truly train your VO2 max? Do thresholds really train your thresholds? I think there's no debate about thresholds. VO2 max is probably still some debate. Personally, I think they train, there's a lot of overlap. They train a lot of the same energy systems. So I'm going to give a different idea of the difference between VO2 max intervals and threshold intervals, which is VO2 max intervals, if you're doing them right, you're throwing up. Threshold intervals shouldn't be that hard. They should be hard, 
but they're pretty manageable. You can hold back a bit. So my biggest take-home here are is go back to what you said, Hunter, which is threshold intervals are a great way of raising that table, getting yourself that ticket into the race, getting your level up. And then I think VO2 max intervals are something that you use for a shorter period of time in the season to give you that, that race winning form. To me, that is the biggest difference. I think the final question should be, do you want to throw up for five minutes or kind of suffer for 20? <laughs> I know I'll, your answer. <laughs> I'll, t- I'll, I'll take the short and sweet any day. See, my answer is why sort of suffer for 20 minutes when you can sort of suffer for an hour. It's even better. <laughs> well, I say you got to do both, Rob. You got to do both. You can't just do one or the other, you know. You got to do both. All right, Hunter. It was a real pleasure having you on the show. Thanks for joining us again. Uh, glad to be here, guys. Thanks for having me. It's a real honor. That was another episode of Fast Talk. Subscribe to Fast Talk wherever you prefer to find your favorite podcast. Be sure to leave us a rating and a review. The thoughts and opinions expressed on Fast Talk are those of the individual. As always, we love your feedback. Join the conversation at forums.fasttalklabs.com to discuss each and every episode. Become a member of Fast Talk Laboratories at fasttalklabs.com slash join and become a part of our coaching and education community. For Hunter Allen, Dr. Steven Seiler, Brent Bookwalter, Dr. Robert Kenefick, and Trevor Connor, I'm Rob Pickles. Thanks for listening.